The sports world keeps spinning and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we close out the week here on 1010XL. We're with you till 10 o'clock. There is a ton going on. You know, it's interesting. I threw this out on Twitter about an hour, hour and a half ago. If you're so inclined, I'd like to see a vote. At Ryan Green 1010XL. That's the name on my actual birth certificate. It does not say hacker on there. It actually says Ryan Green. So at Ryan Green 1010XL. First weekend without the National Football League in a long time. Yeah, they didn't play two weeks ago, but the season was still going. You know what I'm talking about. But you got the Daytona 500 this weekend. You got the XFL coming back with Dwayne The Rock Johnson at the helm. You got NBA All-Star Weekend, which begins tonight with the Celebrity Game, followed by the most anticipated um, Futures Game, which has a bunch of my Orlando Magic guys in it, Franz Wagner and Paolo Bancaro. Then you got college baseball starting up. You got golf. There's a lot going on. I'm just curious, what strikes you? What's going to get your viewing attention this weekend now that the NFL, first weekend they have not played If you include preseason, heck, since the last weekend in July. Think about that. The Hall of Fame game was the first week in August. It's been a long time since we had a weekend without NFL football. So we'll talk about that. Speaking of the NFL, though, we are 24 days away from the start of free agency. The combine is before that. And the franchise tags will begin coming out in the next week and a half or so. We're going to talk a lot of NFL tonight. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor is going to join me in about 20 minutes. We'll talk about the Jaguars' run this year. We'll get his outlook on the Jaguars' free agent options, including a position he knows pretty well, right? The tight end position with Evan Ingram. What would he do if he was the Jaguars? What would he do if he were Evan Ingram? Also, Clay Harbor, very connected up in Chicago. Boy, the rumors surrounding the Bears are just fascinating. It's smokescreen season. It's rumor season. But is there legitimate conversation about trading Justin Fields and drafting Bryce Young number one? Or are those stories out there to drive up the trade value for that pick and to scare potentially Houston or Indianapolis? So we'll talk to Clay Harbor, former Jaguar tight end, about all that in about 20 minutes. Also, Mike DiRocco. We lovingly call him DRock, ESPN.com. He will stop by later on in the 9 o'clock hour. At about 8.45, we will head to Indianapolis. Our guy up in Indy is James Boyd of The Athletic. Shane Steichen, the brand-new head coach of the Colts, enters the AFC South. Jaguar fans, what do we need to know about Shane Steichen up there in Indianapolis? And what's the Colts' offseason outlook look like? James Boyd of The Athletic at 8.45 tonight, and finally at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, it is the all-star break in the association. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, covering the NBA. We'll take a look back on the first half of the NBA season and a look ahead what's to come over the next weeks and months. So as you can tell, we're loaded. As always, we are glad you are with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, 
we do give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Okay, so the 2022 NFL season in the books, you know that because you probably watched the Super Bowl on Sunday because over 113 million people watched the Super Bowl on Sunday. So now that the parade is over, the offseason wheel is beginning to turn downhill, let's begin looking ahead to 2023. This morning on ESPN.com, they had a bunch of their NFL analysts give way too early 2023 predictions on the Super Bowl matchup next year and on their MVP for next year. And I will tell you, there is a Jaguar-related feel in one of these. More on that in a moment. When it comes to Super Bowl predictions... I see here 49ers, Bengals. I see another Bengals, 49ers. I see Eagles, Bengals. I see another Bengals and 49ers. Then you got the Chiefs and the 49ers. The Chiefs and the Niners again. Does anybody else play in the NFC besides the 49ers? Another Kansas City, San Francisco prediction. Okay, here you go. Cincinnati and Dallas. Then you got Miami and Philadelphia. Well, at least that's a little bit of a change. And finally, Field Yates says Kansas City and San Francisco. Not a mention of Jacksonville. Not surprising. The Jaguars were 4-8 and eight this year before rattling off six wins in a row, getting to the divisional round, ultimately losing to Kansas City. But I think this goes to show you, you know, a lot's going to transpire. Free agency, the draft, et cetera. There'll be a lot of player turnover. As excited as I am for the 2023 Jaguar season, and I am, I am fired up. Calvin Ridley applied for reinstatement yesterday. Christian Kirk will be back. Trevor Etienne will be, or Travis Etienne will be back. Trevor Lawrence will be back. Zay Jones, hopefully, hopefully they find a way to bring Evan Ingram back. That offense could be cooking next year. Make no mistake about it. In the higher-ups of the American Football Conference, Jacksonville is still going to be no higher than probably fourth, maybe third, maybe fifth when you really think about it. People are going to love Kansas City, and with good reason. They've been to three Super Bowls in the past four years. People obviously love Cincinnati, and with good reason, with Joe Burrow and that offense. Buffalo... I think their window might have maxed out. Their window may be coming down a tad, but they're still going to be awfully good. And then what about Baltimore? What about Pittsburgh? What about Cleveland with Deshaun Watson back to maybe his former self after a couple of games to shake off the rust? And here's one thing to keep in mind, Jaguar fans. All those teams I just listed, Cleveland with Deshaun Watson – Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett, Baltimore, we'll see about Lamar Jackson, Cincinnati with Joe Burrow, and then Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, and Buffalo with Josh Allen. What do all of those teams have in common? Every one of them is on the Jacksonville Jaguars schedule next year. Think about that. Let that sink in. Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati. Baltimore, 
Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Oh, and for good measure, the Jaguars' crossover game next year is against the San Francisco 49ers, who almost every ESPN analyst predicted to represent the NFC in 2023's Super Bowl. It's a tough schedule, man. Tough schedule. You play the NFC South as well, which could be easy, right? We'll see. Tampa, New Orleans, Carolina, Atlanta. And then, of course, you have your two games against Houston, your two games against Indy, and your two games against Tennessee. That's where you need to butter your bread next year if you're Jacksonville. That's where you need to rack up some wins. You need to dominate the AFC South, particularly Houston and Indy, who are going to have brand new head coaches, are both picking in the top five this year, and are likely to both be starting rookie quarterbacks. Anything, I do mean anything less than three and one in those four games is not going to be good. You probably need to run the table there. And then you need to try to clean up against the NFC South, which is arguably, other than the AFC South, the worst division in football. We'll see about Tampa post Tom Brady. We'll see what Frank Wright can do in Carolina. Atlanta, who knows? And New Orleans, who really knows? We'll see if Derek Carr ends up there. But yeah, when you throw in the Niners, the Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Browns, a couple of things come to mind. You're going to have some awesome home games. Awesome home games. You're going to have some primetime games mixed in. And a majority of those games are at home. Kansas City's at home here in Jacksonville. I think Cincinnati is at home here in Jacksonville. I want to say San Francisco. I think you got to go to Buffalo. I'd have to look about Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland. Denmark, see if you can... uh. Do a little uh, double D research in there for me. I like that, double D research. See what you can do there about the Jaguar home schedule next year. Now, they're going to lose one to London, right? I don't think it's going to be Kansas City because I think they already play an international game. So, Kansas City will be here in Jacksonville. I would think the Jaguars are going to fight very hard to have the Cincinnati game here in Jacksonville. I got it ready for you. Yeah, what do you got? All right, San Fran's at home. Kansas City's at home. Cincinnati's at home. Go to Buffalo. Uh, Baltimore's at home. Wow. At Cleveland. At Pitt. At Cleveland, at Pitt. So you got Baltimore, San Francisco, Kansas City, and Cincinnati all at home. And then, of course, you throw in Tennessee, Houston, Indy. And then the NFC South, Denmark. I know they go to Tampa. And New Orleans at Tampa. Carolina and Atlanta are here. Carolina and Atlanta are here. That's a great home schedule. That is a phenomenal home schedule. Assuming you don't lose Cincinnati or San Francisco to London, man, that's one of the better home schedules the Jaguars have had in quite some time. But the Jaguars are going to be on the hype train. You're already seeing it. ESPN.com, NFL Network, Pro Football Focus. They're putting out their power rankings heading in to the 2023 offseason. Bar none. Every power ranking that I've seen this week has Jacksonville in the top 10, and it's glorious. Normally, when we click on those things, you got to scroll and scroll and scroll, and maybe around number 27 or 28, if we're lucky, that's where Jacksonville comes in. Mm-mm-mm-mm, not anymore. Not with Trevor Lawrence, not with Doug Peterson. They're in the top 10. But it is good to know and to prepare yourself accordingly 
The schedule is great, but what does a great schedule mean in the NFL? It means it's hard. It is a hard and great schedule next year. One of the quarterbacks, we don't know if the Jaguars will be facing or not, potentially. Who knows what Indy does? Who knows what Houston does? Carolina, Tennessee even. A lot of quarterback potential for those teams in the draft. Jacksonville plays all of them. Anthony Richardson, the Gator quarterback, was a topic of conversation on Bamani Jones's podcast earlier today that you can find at ESPN.com. Now, Anthony Richardson's all over the board. Some folks love him in the NFL. Some folks are downright infatuated with him. And some will tell you, no, I'm not drafting him in round number one. Anthony Richardson's really all over the draft board depending on who you ask. But I thought this was interesting, so I'll bring it to you. But Monty Jones on his podcast, ESPN.com, earlier today, giving a very interesting comparison for Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. To expect another Josh Allen trajectory is unreasonable. Mm-hmm. It is it is ridiculous. You and I have both said this. You and I were both going on programs and people asking questions about who's the next Josh Allen. I don't know why we're not doing that this year because this year the exact same Josh Allen is in the draft and his name is Anthony Richardson. Now, can he become the Josh Allen that we ultimately saw? It's highly unlikely. But if you saw the Josh Allen at Wyoming and thought, whoa, that guy could be a quarterback, Anthony Richardson is him but faster. And I'm not exaggerating. A lot of praise for Anthony Richardson. And again, look, I was never the biggest Anthony Richardson fan as far as on the field. Off the field, he's a great guy. I mean, Denny Thompson, one of my good friends, trains him as one of his quarterback coach you know, here at Six Points. And, you know, I like Anthony Richardson. The guy's a great guy, great kid. I Anthony Richardson, to me, is uh, I'm always going to be rooting for that guy. I mean, obviously, the Florida ties, he works with a close buddy of mine. I mean, call me biased, whatever you want to do. I am rooting for Anthony Richardson. Having said that, I thought Anthony Richardson last year looked phenomenal at times and looked downright awful at times, and there wasn't a lot of gray area. And that would concern me from an NFL point of view. Look, you've turned the tape on of the Tennessee game. You turn the tape on of the Florida State game, and brother, you're going to fall in love. You're going to think Anthony Richardson is going to Canton, Ohio one day. But pop in that film of the South Florida game. Pop in that film of the Kentucky game or the Missouri game. And the love you feel in some of those games will quickly vanish. It's, you know, we talk about all over the board, depending on who you ask as far as opinions, his game was all over the board last year. But to hear a guy like Bamani Jones, a well-respected guy in the industry, give him the Josh Allen comparison from Buffalo, it's high praise. I'd love to see it, with the exception of him getting drafted by Tennessee. I saw a mock draft. I already had to do that once. Love everything about Derrick Henry. He came in studio, visited with us many times when he was at Uly. And of all places he went, he went to Tennessee, and that sucks. And I don't want to do that again. I saw a mock draft where the Tennessee Titans selected Anthony Richardson. Please, 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 football gods, do not allow that to happen in late April. 
Have Anthony Richardson go literally anywhere else other than Tennessee. I would almost even settle for him going to Houston or Indy, which are even in the same division, and just not having to go to Tennessee. To have Anthony Richardson and Derrick Henry as teammates in Nashville would almost be too much to stomach. It would be like getting kicked below the belt by a mule, and it would be awful. And I really, really hope that doesn't happen. More on Anthony Richardson, more on the NFL draft coming up in just a bit. But as we mentioned, we are 24 days away. NFL free agency begins Monday, March 13th. Let's talk to a man that played nine years in the National Football League, a few of those years right here in Jacksonville, Clay Harbor. We'll talk Jaguars. We'll talk Jaguars offseason. And we'll talk Justin Fields being dangled out there as trade bait in Chicago. Is that really a thing? That's next on Hacker After Dark. No. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL offseason in full swing. In fact, we are just over three weeks away from NFL free agency. Certainly a lot of decisions have to be made, including right here in Jacksonville. With that, let's go to a man that wore the Jacksonville Jaguar uniform. It's been a while since we talked to him. we got a lot of catching up to do. That's my man Clay Harbor, former Jaguar tight end, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Clay, how we doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. Appreciate you having me on. Always love talking NFL and definitely always like talking Jaguars. Clay, what a year. I haven't had you on, I believe, since the preseason. And uh, who would have ever thought back in August that the Jaguars would start 4-8 and eight and then ultimately win, what, six in a row to get all the way to the AFC Divisional Playoff. What a ride it was. Man, I was optimistic from the, from the beginning, but I'll be honest, you know, I lost a little faith down the road there, especially when they were 4-8 and eight and made that comeback to, uh, to make the playoffs. I think they're the only the third team in NFL history to come back from that record and, and actually make the playoffs and, and just capping off that wild card win the way they did, coming back from you know, 28 to nothing to, to win that game and then play the Chiefs tough, the, the, the team that won the, NFL, that won the Super Bowl. So, I mean, this team is, is, was really resilient, if I could use one word, and I think it all started with Doug Peterson, and that trickled down to Trevor Lawrence, which trickled down to the rest of the team. So I'm excited to see what, what's in store for the rest of, rest of this, uh, this tandem's Duke career here. Clay, you played a lot of years in the league, man. You got a great perspective. I want to ask you about Doug, but I want to start with Trevor. He was a different quarterback in September and October. He was struggling, looked like he might have had some confidence issues. And I don't know what happened on that plane ride home from London after the loss to Denver around Halloween, but he was a completely different guy after that trip. I mean, how does that happen? Does the light come on? I mean, is that the, the correct verbiage? How would you describe that? I thought I thought about this one too, Ryan. You know, I'm not sure what happened there, but I think maybe him and Doug just had a talk and they started going over some film and, and Trevor just, just kind of really, you know, saw some things on tape that he, he was doing wrong. And then he went back and he corrected them and just kept getting better and kept improving. And that's the thing when you have a growth mindset, like Doug Peterson always preaches, getting 1% better every day. You know, and you heard the, the Jags talking about how they portray things. 
that mindset that no matter what happens, good, we lost this game, good. Now we're going to come back and we're going to we're going to win the next one. He threw a pick, good. Give us an opportunity to get better. And they use that mindset, that growth mindset. Doug Peterson, uh, Trevor Lawrence looked at what they did wrong and they, they fixed it. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Clay, we had you on when Doug Peterson was hired a little over a year ago. You were very high on the hiring then. Obviously, you spent a lot of time with Doug during your playing career. Obviously, it came to fruition, man. What a hire by Shad Khan bringing Doug Peterson to this organization. Yeah, Sean really hit the hit the ball in the park with this one, man. I think it was an unbelievable hire. And you know, I'm so glad Doug's Doug's in Jacksonville. And I was able to see Doug. I was able to uh, see him when I was down there at training camp and talk to him. And just such a delight to be around a great guy, but but even a better coach. This guy knows how to coach football. I spent time with him in Philly when he was with Andy Reid as the uh, quarterback coach in Philadelphia. And from there on, he just knew the guy knew football. He 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 had a passion for it. He loved his players and in my opinion, he should have been the coach of the year to take this team from worst team in the league for two consecutive years to winning the division and winning a playoff game and playing the Kansas City Chiefs, the eventual Super Bowl champions, tough. In my opinion, it's not even close. He should have been the coach of the year. Clay, as we get into the offseason now, three weeks away from free agency, as a guy that lived through that process, before we really start talking about certain guys, the Jaguars, et cetera, if you are a free agent, you're set to hit the market in three weeks. What's the process like right now? What are you talking about? Are you in constant communication with your agent? Are backdoor conversations happening, even though they're, quote, not supposed to be right now? Take us into the process. All right, absolutely. The top top of the line, guys, the, the, the big-time free agents probably already have – there's probably already some deals that are hashed out there. Obviously not signed and the stuff could happen, but – but right now, there's some verbal agreements being made. And as you continue, the guys with the second tier and third tier guys are getting some calls. They're getting their gauge and their interest. They're probably not going to sign right away. But those second and third tier guys will sign after that first wave of guys. And, you know, right now, everybody's talking to everybody. As a player, you're talking to your agent. Okay, this team called. They want this. This team called. You go here, you're going to get less. But, you know, I think it's a better place to play. And you're really trying to figure out with your agent, with your family, what route you want to take? What offer should I take? Okay, I only got three offers. You know, two of them are, are realistic. One of them, no. So I got to decide between these two places. And you honestly, you sit down on a piece of paper and you write out the pros and the cons, just like just like any decision. And um, you know, that's typically what's going on for a player. And a lot of a lot of discussions happen at the combine that's coming up here. You'll, you'll see agents talking to to teams, you know, talking about players they want to draft, free agents. You know, who they like, who they're interested in. And that's also a very exciting time. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor. Clay, you've piqued my interest. Not every situation is the same. Obviously, they vary. But by and large, during your time in the league, do players let their agent handle a majority of this? Or will a player go to an agent and say, hey, I don't care what Team A is offering. I want to go to Team B. Sometimes, if you know, so he'll he'll let you know what teams are interested. And if you're if you want to go back to a team, I think that you're going to listen to the offers. You're going to see what offers are out there. And if it's close and you want to go with Team A as opposed to Team B, who maybe gave you a little bit more money, some guys will do that. The majority of guys take the best offer, though. It's the the most guaranteed money. And, and I mean, for for the sport, I understand that. There's you know, there's no healthcare 
but for five years after football, you're done playing. I mean, these guys want to take care of themselves. They want to take care of their family. And I understand that. So you're going to go with the pretty much most time the best offer. But there are some instances where it's like, hey, I want to stay here, get the most team. It's like you're talking about the Jaguars. Some player really wants to stay in Duval. Another team offers them maybe a couple million a year more. There's a chance that a guy could say, I want to stay here and I will take less. Majority of the time, that will not happen. Clay, let's talk about your former position at tight end. The Jaguars got unbelievable production out of Evan Ingram this year. He is set to hit the market on Monday, March 13th. Evan Ingram, I believe, is 28 years old. This could potentially be his last major contract, if you will. Take us into the mindset of Evan Ingram. Uh, He says he wants to be back publicly. The Jaguars said they want him back publicly. We know how good Doug Peterson is at working tight ends into his offense. How would you summarize that whole situation with Ingram and the Jaguars heading into free agency? I think Ingram wants to be there, and the Jags want him there. I mean, there's a chance that you give him the uh, the franchise tag, but the franchise tag is going to be eleven million some anyway. So, in my opinion, maybe try to offer him ten million for three years, and you'll get a little less than you would in the franchise tag towards towards the cap this year. And I think that'd be a good deal for him. I think he's going to have a lot of offers out there. There's not that many great tight ends. Uh, Dalton Schultz is a, is a guy. Mike Gusecki. I mean, there's some guys coming out, but, you know, overall, I think Evan Ingram is the, the headliner of this class. So he's going to have a lot of offers. There's going to be some teams interested. So I think that he's going to have a big market, and he might have to take a little less to stay in Jacksonville because the Jags are a little bit cash-strapped this offseason. Obviously, they can move things around and get more money. But for now, I mean, Evan might need to work with the Jags if he really wants to stay here. From a Jaguar perspective, Clay, how important is it to bring back Evan Ingram? I think it's very important. You saw what the guy was able to do with Trevor Lawrence. It's over 700 yards, over 60 catches, uh, four touchdowns. And down the stretch, he just played so well when the Jags started winning. You saw what happened when they started throwing the ball to Evan Ingram. You saw what happened in the playoff game, the wild card game, when they, and the, during that comeback. Saw what happened against the Titans. This guy had some big games down the stretch, and he became one of Trevor Lawrence's favorite targets. I think you got to bring this guy back because you know how much Trevor wants him and how good he is with Trevor. And obviously with Doug being able to utilize all the shallow crosses, the pick plays, the quick screens, it's just another weapon out there. And if you can get him back with the addition of Ridley and keeping Zay and and everybody else that they got out there, I think it's going to be, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive. With Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, uh, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, this offense would be one of the best offenses, not in the division, in my opinion, even in the league. A couple of more for former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor. Clay, same question revolving around offensive tackle Jawan Taylor. How important is it for Jacksonville to bring Jawan Taylor back? I think it's important, but I think Walker Little showed that he can play in this league too. I think Jawan Taylor is going to be a prized possession in free agency. A lot of teams are going to go after him because the way he can pass block. I think he showed that he's he's an upper echelon offensive tackle. He's going to have a lot of suitors out there. And I think it's a position that's at a premium, and the Jags are going to have to pay up if they want him, and I don't know they got the cash to do that. And they're in a good position to where they have – they're going to have Cam Robinson coming back and then Walker Little, second-round pick. He showed down the stretch that he can play. He is not a weak link. Walker Little can get the job done. I think Jawan Taylor's better – but I think uh, Walker Little can still play, and you're not missing much 
if you do lose Jawan Taylor. Is it easy for Walker Little to go from left tackle to right tackle? I mean, is that a tough transition, or do you think he could handle that? I think he can handle that. I think he's a guy that's, you know, a smart player, Stanford kid. I think he can really handle that that move. And it's different. You're switching it, but it's different. But most of the teams now, you're training guys in, in multiple positions, and he's playing swing tackle as a backup anyway. So he's he's competing at right tackle with Juwan Taylor. Then he's at left tackle with Camby now. So he's a guy that can do both things. I think he can be successful at right or left tackle. You know, final Jaguar-related question. The third guy that everybody wants to know about is Arden Key. Very similar to Evan Ingram, right? I mean, he signed a one-year prove-it deal, and he certainly proved it in that one year here in Jacksonville. Uh, The Jaguars have some salary cap issues, as you mentioned. There's some question as to whether Roy Robertson-Harris might be released to save some money. But I think if you can find a way, Clay, to bring Arden Key back, they got to try to do that. I think Arden Key's going to have a lot of suitors, too. I think he, he only had four and a half sacks, but he had a career-high 20 pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. And, and Arden Key's a player. As far as pressure percentage, he's top 10 in the NFL for, for pressure percentage. Percentage of the times he gets the pass rush that he actually gets pressure on the quarterback. So if he's a player, he's a guy that teams got their eyes on. They're going to have to pay up if they want to keep Arden Key as well. I think he's a guy they need to keep, but it's, it's not going to be cheap for him. Clay, we know you love your Jacksonville Jaguars. We also know that you love the Chicago Bears. You do a lot of work in the Chicago area. And the talk, and it's picking up, quite frankly, as we're getting closer to the draft about trading Justin Fields to draft a quarterback at number one. I mean, we heard what Mike Tannenbaum, I think this morning on ESPN, throw out there that he thinks they should draft Bryce Young, they being the Bears, and trade Justin Fields, I think I know what your reaction to that's going to be, but I'll ask you anyway, what is your reaction to that? I love Mike T. I'm a contributor with his media company, the 33rd team. But, you know, I I get where they're coming from with that. You want to reset the quarterback clock because you get more resources to put into building a roster with a rookie quarterback. And some people think Justin Fields can't improve with throwing the football. I think he can. Some people think Bryce Young is the guy. Some people think he's too small. He can get hurt. I actually, his size to me isn't as big of an issue as it is to some people because Bryce Young had 100 yards rushing last. He's not a running quarterback. He's a pocket quarterback. When you're in the pocket, you have unprecedented protection for quarterback. That's why Tom Brady was able to play at 85 years old. He's a pocket quarterback. If you look at a guy wrong in the pocket, you are going to get penalized. You're you're safe in that pocket. So I understand why people say Bryce Young, you know, over Justin Fields. But in my opinion, you need to build around Justin Fields, not trade him. You saw what happened to Jalen Hurts. Look back uh, till the beginning of the season training camp. People are saying Jalen Hurts isn't the guy. You know, Jalen Hurts, his roster is good, but the Eagles are never going to do it with Jalen Hurts. He can't be the guy. Now everybody's praising Jalen Hurts. He's uh, in the MVP race. Him and Justin Fields had nearly identical second seasons. Get Justin Fields a big-time receiver. Get him a good offensive line. You put a good defense back there. That helps a quarterback, believe it or not. And then I think you will see Justin Fields progress the same way Jalen Hurts did. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor. Clay, final question. We know how connected you are in Philadelphia as well. Shane Steichen leaving the Eagles and coming to the AFC South. Jacksonville will see him twice a year as the head coach of the the Indianapolis Colts. Your opinion on Shane Steichen and what the Colts got there? 
No, it scares me a little bit because I know he is, you know, he's a he's a great play caller, man. This guy knows how to call plays. And when he took over the offensive coordinator position for Nick Sirianni, that's when the Eagles started playing much better. And he knows how to run the football. He wants to pound the rock. He obviously can throw it too. But he's a guy that, that does it all consistently. And he's a guy that, that, that scares me a little bit as a Jaguars fan and former Jags player. So I, I think they got a heck of a hire there. And but the one thing they're still missing is a quarterback. I don't know. Maybe they trade up and try to go after Bryce Young. Maybe they try to sign uh, Aaron Rodgers. Maybe they, maybe they try to sign Derek Carr. It's a couple different ways the Colts can go, but I think they got the head coach right. Clay, give yourself a little bit of love, man. Where can Jaguar fans find you during this offseason? I know on social media you're all over the place, a very busy man this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. I put everything I'm up to up on my Twitter account. That's ClayHarps82 on Twitter. And tonight on Stadium TV, you can find me at 11 p.m. Eastern time on Stadium TV, talk in a show called Believe Me, talking some sports betting, what we think are some of the best bets for next season. He's one of our favorites here on 1010XL, former Jaguar, tight end Clay Harbor. Clay, as I said, know you're busy, brother. Thank you for taking time out today. We'll talk again soon. For sure. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy the conversation with Clay Harbor here on Hacker After Dark, and you heard him. I mean, look, that's now basically every guy we've talked to, every guest we've had on over the last two to three weeks asked about Evan Ingram or Jawan Taylor. I think reality might be setting in, right? It's going to be more feasible, more viable to keep Evan Ingram, and he may be more important. Now, look, Jawan Taylor, I would love to have back. But you do have the ace in the hole there with Walker Whittle, assuming that Cam Robinson comes back healthy. You would have to find a new swing tackle to replace Walker Whittle because he's obviously now your starter in that circumstance. But Evan Ingram was so vital to this offense and meant so much to Trevor Lawrence. He was almost kind of like a safety valve. He was a playmaker all mixed into one that I think anything you can do to keep Evan Ingram, and if that means you lose Jawan Taylor, that sucks. But if I had to choose one over the other, I'm probably choosing Ingram, letting Taylor walk, and that there's money that you can spend elsewhere, and you hope that you just simply move Walker Whittle to right tackle, have a healthy Cam Robinson at left tackle, and you go from there. That's the reason the salary cap makes the NFL great, right? If there wasn't a salary cap, you could have the greatest players on earth. It wouldn't matter. Just pay them buku of dollars and, and no issues. But the reason the NFL does it is because you have to make tough decisions like this to keep the parity in the National Football League. And again, you got to think long-term as well. The money you spend now will be affected by the money you're going to pay Trevor Lawrence likely after the 2023 season. That's why I'm fascinated in Philadelphia, in Los Angeles, and in Cincinnati. Here in Jacksonville, we need to take a good, hard look at those circumstances because Jalen Hurts is going to get paid up in Philly. Justin Herbert's going to get paid in Los Angeles. And we know Joe Burrow is going to get paid in Cincinnati. And how will those contracts for those quarterbacks affect the rest of those rosters? That'll be a good and interesting blueprint to follow because the Jaguars are one year behind them as the Jaguars will be working on a new Trevor Lawrence contract, likely 12 months or so from right now. Speaking of new contracts, there is a new man 
in the AFC South. The Indianapolis Colts finally this week hired Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's go to Indianapolis. Our guy up there is James Boyd. He always comes on with us here on Hacker After Dark when it's Colts related. We'll talk about the Shane Steichen hire, what it means for Indianapolis, how much in play was Jeff Saturday for that job, and what's the outlook for the Indianapolis Colts? You know, in the AFC South, we've been so caught up on Tennessee, 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 because that's who Jacksonville chased down. Remember, this was Indianapolis's division for a long time, too. They still have a lot of talent there. What does this new head coach mean to that organization? James Boyd of The Athletic covering the Indianapolis Colts. We'll talk Colts. We'll talk AFC South next on Hacker After Dark. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. We have a brand new head coach in the AFC South, Shane Steichen, coming over from Philadelphia to take over the Indianapolis Colts. That hiring was announced earlier this week. Let's head to Indianapolis. Our man up there is James Boyd. He covers the Colts for the Athletic, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. James, it's been a while, man. How are you? I've been good. Obviously, it's been a lot going on here in Indy. A lot of big decisions to be made. So another one to come on who they'll draft at quarterback. But they have a coach finally after one of the most exhaustive coaching searches um, in recent memory. Yeah, look, we we can relate to that last year. It took 31-plus days for the Jaguars to land on Doug Peterson. Obviously, it worked wonders here. Uh, Shane Steichen, James, why? Why was he the right man for the job? I believe it has a lot to do with his quarterback background and obviously the success he had in Philadelphia. You know, in his two years in Philadelphia, I believe they jumped from like the number 12 scoring offense to the number three scoring offense this past season. You see the development in Jalen Hurts. He's also worked with Phillip Rivers and Justin Herbert. And I think, again, with the Colts being poised to draft a quarterback for the first time since Andrew Luck, at least in the, in the first round, that is, for the first time since Andrew Luck, you want a guy who's proven he can win and develop quarterbacks no matter their skill set and what they can bring to the table. So he's done it with a variety of guys. And obviously that's enticing for the Colts who are looking to end this you know, QB merry-go-round and get their quarterback of the future and someone hopefully that uh, Shane Steichen can build with long-term. You know, Jeff Saturday loved up there in Indianapolis. Very interesting what happened with him getting the interim job last year. Was he in play for this? Was there – Legit thought that Jeff Saturday could get this permanent gig there? Yes, I can tell you that there was legitimate thought, but mainly because of his relationship with Jim Ursay, which is why he got the interim job to begin with. Um, I was on the record that night as saying he did not, you know, live up to what you would expect the coach to be or, or the credentials you would expect the coach to have to become even an interim coach in the NFL. And so um, he was considered, but, you know, based off of my colleagues reporting, Zach Kiefer, he was out of the running a few weeks ago, and it just became official, obviously, when they announced Shane Steichen. That way we know everyone is out of it except for him. But I do, I do want to say a lot of fans were definitely fired up about that and actually made a petition um, to not have Jeff Saturday hired as the head coach here in Indy. Initially, everyone was excited. A lot of the fans were you know, pretty happy about it because of his history with the franchise, being in the ring of honor, things of that nature. 
However, as the season went on, it just seemed like he was in over his head. And now they have a coach who's a first-time head coach, but someone who's obviously more experienced with having 12 years under his belt in the NFL. James Boyd covers the Indianapolis Colts for The Athletic. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. James, it was interesting earlier this week, Jim Ursay at uh, Shane Steichen's introductory press conference. Look, it's smokescreen season, right? It's rumor season. But Ursay <laughs> decides to just throw out there, yeah, that quarterback from Alabama looks pretty good. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, the Colts pick in the top five. Everybody knows Bryce Young is likely to be a top five pick. What was the reaction when – when the Colts owner did that, was that a slip of the <laughs> tongue a little bit? I don't know. I feel like, you know, with Jim Irsay, you never know. He's a bit of a wild card. I will say this, though. It was kind of funny because you knew that Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard, the GM, wouldn't go that route. They wouldn't talk about specific quarterbacks. And then I'm sure they're probably briefed on that going into the press conference. Like, hey, if someone asks about this, we're not going to bring it up. And then Jim Irsay just says it unprompted because that's what Jim Irsay does. And and so I think that it gives um, some credibility to his, his thought process and maybe the idea of pairing Young with Steichen and the ability to move up, which we've known for weeks that they're, they're at least considering it. Um, but it was definitely kind of crazy to hear it out loud during a press conference, not at the combine or even on draft night. It was about the coach. And you're like jumping in, like, in, in, in my opinion, that was probably the most interesting comment that was made. Sorry, Shane Steichen. I love to hear about your backstory, and your background and, how you got to where you are and all your thank yous. But I was like, oh, that Bryce Young comment was was pretty cool. And he didn't mention him by name, but he said, you know, that Alabama guy, which means only one Alabama guy, you know, the one that won a Heisman. So um, I think that that's something to factor in. But also Jim Arce did say one of the things he uh, liked about the quarterback development with Shane Steichen, the way he worked with Jalen Hurts, was that when the Colts faced Indy, uh, I mean, when the Colts faced Philadelphia earlier this year, you know, Jalen Hurts was the reason they won. They played him really, really tight, but at the end, the end Jalen Hurts beat him on a quarterback draw. And so he, he made an offhand comment like, yeah, it felt like we were playing 12 on 11. I think that that's something else he'll consider is like, you know, is there a dual threat quarterback in this draft that we can get and kind of mold to be sort of like a Josh Allen or a Jalen Hurts or someone who's more mobile. Even Patrick Mahomes is mobile. And so I think that that's something else that entices him. So in that case, do you, you know, do you think that Jim Mercy would go Anthony Richardson or something like that or Will Levis? So they have options there, you know, to move up or stay where they're at and, and who will be there and things like that. So I'm excited to dive into it with the combine coming to Indy soon. Yeah, no question about that. You know, James, you mentioned it earlier, five years, five different starting quarterbacks from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz. And then last year, Matt Ryan, the nonsense needs to end. They're going to draft somebody in the top five, it appears, and they need to. But whoever they draft in the top five, James, whether it be Bryce Young or whomever, will they be the starter from day one, or is there a chance that a a Derek Carr, a Jimmy Garoppolo, someone along those lines could be maybe a caretaker, if you will, until the rookie is ready to go? Yeah, I can tell you right now that, you know, I guess the bridge quarterback option isn't completely off the table, mainly because of the offensive line issues, right? You don't want to get draft a guy like Bryce Young, who is undersized, and then put him behind that offensive line that Indy had last year, which saw all of their quarterbacks running for their lives. And, and as great as Bryce Young is, as mobile as he is, you know, I feel like that will kind of be detrimental to his development or any other young quarterback. However, I will say that, you know, I don't expect a Derek Carr to be an Indy. I don't expect a Jimmy Garoppolo to be an Indy. I do expect him to draft a young quarterback and then get a cheaper bridge quarterback to maybe – 
you know, start the first few games of the season or, or whatever, and then kind of ease their way into this new era with a new quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the new quarterback starts on day one. Um, but I definitely would, you know, would say to all the Colts fans out there, anyone listening, you can like breathe a sigh of relief because Derek Carr will not be in a Colts uniform or any other older quarterback. They're, they're done with that. They want to get young and lean into that, that new uh, rebuild. Yeah, just thinking out loud here, Shane Steichen coming from Philadelphia, Gardner Minshew is an unrestricted free agent, perhaps something like that to get Bryce Young right. up to speed. Obviously wouldn't cost as much as a Derek Carr or as a Jimmy Garoppolo. A couple of more for James Boyd of The Athletic covering the Indianapolis Colts. James, what's the Colts offseason outlook look like aside from quarterback? Where are they with the salary cap? What unrestricted free agents do they have to make decisions on here in the next three weeks? How does all that look right now? Yeah, I think they're in a good place as far as salary cap goes. Um, they don't have any huge headlining free agents. However, they do have a few that I would expect them to try to bring back, like a Paris Campbell, a wide receiver, a slot guy. Um, he's someone who had a great relationship with Frank Reich, so I wouldn't be surprised even if the, the Panthers showed interest in him. But I do think that the Colts lack wide receiver depth, um, something you all over in Jacksonville probably are pretty happy about knowing that uh, Calvin Ridley could be uh, – reinstated soon, but the Colts are not in that position, right? They're trying to retain guys. And so he's one, um, a guy that I believe is gone no matter what, because he just outplayed um, his contract in the position is Bobby Okereke, the linebacker. I just don't think they have enough money to pay him. So he'll be gone and maybe they have to go elsewhere to find other linebacker depth. Um, even it sounds funny, but their kicker, Chase McLaughlin, you know, set a team record with 50 yard field goals this past season. And that's something that the Colts need to stabilize, similar to the quarterback position. They haven't had a consistent kicker in recent years, so they need to re-sign him as well. And so I think that those are some of the things that are on the to-do list this offseason. But obviously, before they can do all of those things, it's hiring your staff, getting your quarterback, and then building from there. James, the last time you and I talked was before the Jaguars traveled up there and the uh, Matt Ryan to Pierce deadly combo that won the game for Indy. There with 20 seconds to go, Jacksonville was in the midst of losing games in miraculous fashion five weeks in a row. And then the Jaguars became one of the best teams in the league post-Thanksgiving and obviously won a playoff game and pushed Kansas City to the limit in the divisional round. As a rival of the Jaguars, what was the reaction in Indianapolis about what Jacksonville did and about the outlook for them in 2023? I think a lot of it was like, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to get our quarterback. We need to get our coach. I mean, you look at Trevor Lawrence's development, it looks night and day just compared to what, what he was with with Urban Meyer compared to Doug Peterson. And so I think that they look at the Jaguars, even though they probably hate them as Colts fans, as the blueprint. Get a quarterback, get a coach, and then you know be able to build and see that development in real time. And I thought that you know, as the season went on, the Jaguars really settled into themselves. And you saw Trevor Lawrence kind of enter that upper echelon of quarterbacks. And you were reminded, OK, this is why he was drafted first overall. This is why he's, he's considered a franchise cornerstone. And then obviously you saw what happened in the playoff game against the, the Chargers where they looked dead in the water. But again, you have a quarterback who, again, did not play very well in the first half at all. Had probably one of the worst halves of football in his entire life. But because he is a guy, he is a dude. He doesn't come all the way back and win it. So, to me, I look at the Jaguars as, okay, that's the team that the Colts need to follow in their footsteps and make sure they sure up, you know, their franchise quarterback because I think that the Jaguars 
2023 and the years beyond are going to be in contention every single year now, probably for the division title and obviously a playoff berth. James, as we wrap up, the AFC South as a whole, Jacksonville appears to be the most stable. you got a brand-new head coach in Indy, a brand-new head coach in Houston. Thought is that both of those teams are going to draft quarterbacks in the top five. You got a brand new general manager in Tennessee and Rand Carthon. So I'm just curious from a guy that covers the division up there like I do down here, what's your thought on the AFC South as we enter the twenty twenty three offseason? I think that you're seeing a changing of the guard, right? It was Tennessee's division a run for so long, but it seems like even with the success they had, it kind of flamed out because they didn't they never had an elite quarterback. And to me, it looks like it's shaping up again if Trevor Lawrence can take another step along with his other counterparts. You know, again, you get a guy like Calvin Ridley in, in that lineup, you know, with those guys over there, it starts to look like, man, this could be Trevor Lawrence's division for the foreseeable future. And it'll be everyone else kind of chasing after the Jaguars. I know Colts fans probably don't want to hear that, but that's the reality, man. I'm very high on Trevor Lawrence. I think that he's a great young quarterback and they have great young pieces over there. I think Doug Peterson has done a great job of elevating that group and giving them the uh, hope and, and conviction in what they do. So, Again, it feels like, you know, that, that torch has kind of been passed and everyone else is playing catch-up. James Boyd of The Athletic, he's our guy up in Indianapolis when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts. James, enjoy the offseason. As you said, not a lot of rest, man. The combine coming up there. From a guy that lives and works in Indy, uh, what is the combine like in that city? I know there's been talk about maybe moving it. It's obviously not going to happen yet. Uh, what is your world like when the combine descends there on Indianapolis? Yeah, so this will actually be my first um, combine. I actually covered the NBA last season with the Pacers, and the combine was in Chicago. The NFL combine, again, is in Indy. And I think just from a geographical standpoint, um, even though I haven't been to one, it makes a lot of sense having it in Indy because it's easier to get to for a lot of different visiting you know, teams and cities and also just how the, it's laid out downtown. Like Everything's pretty close to each other, all the hotels, um, the venues, where they're going to host the combine, things like that. Everything is within walking distance once you're downtown, unlike in other big cities. Um, so I think that that's a good thing why the NFL is probably reluctant to kind of move it to other different places because, again, it just logistically it's easy to get to. And once you're down here, it's easy to literally walk to because everything is when, within a few blocks of each other. So I'm excited for that. Obviously, for the Colts in, in particular, I'm excited to talk to the quarterbacks and see them. I doubt that many of them will throw, you know, outside of their pro day. But, again, it just anytime I can get around to football players, see some guys do anything football-related – it should be pretty exciting, not only for me, but everyone around the league because all these teams are looking to upgrade, and obviously the Jaguars are looking to get a little better too. James Boyd, you can read his terrific work at The Athletic covering the Indianapolis Colts. James, we'll do it again in a couple of months, buddy. Thank you as always. Thank you. Sounds good. There you go, James Boyd of The Athletic. That's our guy up in Indianapolis covering the Indianapolis Colts. And, yeah, you look at the division, right? Indianapolis, brand-new head coach and Shane Steichen likely a first-round rookie quarterback as they currently have the number four pick in the draft. You look at Houston, brand-new head coach, and D'Amico Ryans, likely a rookie quarterback as they hold the second pick in the draft. And Tennessee, a brand-new general manager and former Gator running back Rand Carthon, and legitimate, legitimate conversation that Ryan Tannehill and his future in Nashville is up in the air. They save a lot of money if they trade Ryan Tannehill or if they release Ryan Tannehill. Is there a better option for Tennessee than Ryan Tannehill? That's a realistic option. 
So a lot of questions in the AFC South, and then you're you're here in Jacksonville, and who would have ever thought six months ago that we would be on February? Heck, who would have thought this three months ago that on February 17th, by far and away, the most stable team in the AFC South resides right here in Duval County with the Jacksonville Jaguars. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, we are with you until 10 o'clock tonight. We're glad you're with us. As always, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see the show there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you will see the show streaming there until 10 o'clock this evening with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com, talking Jaguars and NFL. Also, Zach Hanshaw of NBC, Sports Edge. It's the all-star break in the NBA. We'll look back on the first half of the season, look ahead to the second half. That's all coming up in the 9 o'clock hour here on Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Finally, Denmark, you say that I should know a song coming back. I usually have no clue what you're playing. You're up to date with this. I have indeed. Now, I couldn't tell you who it is, but I have definitely heard this song before. You probably heard it during, I don't know, the Super Bowl this past Sunday. Oh, is it Rihanna? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, look, I, I enjoyed the Super Bowl halftime show. In fact, I don't know if you saw this. More people watch the halftime show than the actual game. Really? I, I think the halftime that. show had like 119 million viewers. The game had 113.8 million viewers. So uh, 6.2 million people apparently literally turned on just to watch the halftime show. Yeah, I know a couple of guys that went right at the Super Bowl. They were like, yeah, we couldn't hear anything. It was all echoey. Oh, so nice. it's all made for TV pretty much. Yeah, it was, no, it was good. It was a good one. Oh, Rihanna, she, she was good. There's no question about that. Speaking of football, um, I've never understood this. And I mean, you know, look, am I going to watch start to finish all four games of the XFL opening weekend this weekend? No, of course not. But the people that just poo-poo it, right, just dog it, say, this sucks. Why would I watch this? I'd rather watch grass grow. I, I don't understand that. Spring football is not for everybody. In fact, Based on the ratings, it's not for a lot of people. But I am never, ever going to be the guy that, you know, poo-poos something that involves a pigskin and a 100-yard football field. To me, the more football we have, the merrier. Does that mean I'm going to watch it? No. But I might. I'd like to have the option. And the XFL does indeed start tomorrow, two games tomorrow, two games on Sunday. I can't tell you very much about the league. I can't even tell you all eight teams. But I know football's on tomorrow. And if I want to turn on ESPN at 3 o'clock or ESPN at 8.30, I have football that I can watch on February the 18th, it'll be. Same thing on Sunday the 19th. But for people that just annihilate it and call it garbage and stuff, I, I don't get that. Maybe it's because I'm also the guy that loves tennis Grand Slam tournaments. I'm also the guy that'll watch... You know, every single Orlando Magic, every game. single Orlando Magic game known to man. The Magic are 11 games under 500. Last night, I'm watching the Bucks and the Bulls because the Magic own the Bulls' first round pick. 
That's who I am. So I don't dog very much. Is NASCAR my thing anymore? No. But if the Daytona 500 is your thing, more power to you, man. Enjoy it. I'll watch some of that on Sunday. So I don't get the venom towards professional football in the spring. I think it's like the trendy thing to say. No one can really explain to me why they don't like it. But their buddy doesn't like it, so because of that, they can't like it. It's yeah. There's a lot of groupthink in this country now. Yeah, of course there is. Peer of pressure, media, whatever. Yeah, all that stuff. Hey, man, it's football again. Are we gonna come in here on Monday and give a thorough breakdown of the XFL? Yes. <laughs> Probably not, but I might. I might and watch the, it. And the day twenty five hundred Monday. Yeah, I know you're you're big into that. I'll watch that too. I like the build up to the Daytona five hundred. We gotta talk about the new. Uh, What's God my the new car that they have now? I forget what it's called. Well, the, you, the new package. Yeah, you got. Well, I don't know about talking about a new package. <laughs> that's your thing. I'm gonna if I'm gonna talk about a package, it's not gonna be new. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Um So, but the Daytona 500, the XFL, NBA All Star Weekend, college baseball has started up. A lot of good stuff this weekend. Hope you enjoy it. Coming up next, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com, talking Jaguars and Jaguars off season. Also, Zach Hanshu of NBC Sports Edge covering the NBA as we have reached the All-Star break festivities with Dylan Denmark and apparently the new package that NASCAR has. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. More to do on a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 57 in the books. The Kansas City Chiefs are once again world champions after defeating the Philadelphia Eagles. And with the end of the Super Bowl means the next time football will be played in the NFL will be the preseason for the 2023 season as teams get back to work here in a couple of weeks. Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. We lovingly call him DRock. I believe making his Hacker After Dark debut this is certainly an emotional moment for all involved. Mike, it's been a long time, man. How are you? I'm doing great, and um, it, I think it is my debut, and, and that usually, you know, what, I get a T-shirt for that or, <laughs> you know, some kind of, like, welcome gift, right? Like a welcome basket or something? My never-ending love and affection for all that is D-Rock. How about that? Does that work for you? I'll take what I can get at this point, sure. All right, Mike, very quiet on a lot of fronts. I think after the Super Bowl now, maybe we'll start getting some more information when it comes to franchise tags in the coming weeks. Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, Arden Key, the rest of these unrestricted free agents that are scheduled to hit the market on Monday, March 13th. Overall view, before we dive into a couple of specifics, the offseason for the Jaguars, your one or two biggest priorities that they have to figure out prior to the 13th of March? Well, obviously figure the cap out, which, um, you know, they, they can release Shaquille Griffin and save about $13 million there. Um, they'll do some restructuring and stuff. So it's not necessarily a problem for them to get under the cap. Um, it's just they're going to have to do some work to get it done. Uh, and then the other, number two, or 1A, if you want to look at it that way, is bringing Evan Ingram back. I, I think if you can only bring one of those free agents back, he... Uh, Juwan Taylor, you have to bring Evan Ingram back. I think that's the most important one to bring back. You don't have anybody else on the roster that can kind of fit into that role. 
Um, he's probably the guy that you want out of all the free agent tight ends just because Trevor has a relationship with him. He's thrived in this offense before. He wants to be here. Um, that's the guy you have to bring back. I mean, you can – you have Walker Little on your roster. that He can be your right tackle. You've got a guy that you drafted eventually to take over there, and you got to figure – that this kid, the more he plays, the better he's going to get because he's really not played a ton of football since he missed those two years, uh, you know, in, in college at Stanford with the injury and then the COVID year. So those are the two priorities to me. You got to bring Ingram back after you figure out the cap. And, and I don't have any doubt that they'll get the cap figured out. And I don't know that we'll see Ingram get franchise tagged early. Um, they're going to take as long as they can to try and work something out with him before they just throw the franchise tag up there. But when it looks, you know, if it looks like it's going to get close, you know, to when, you know, contracts expire and he could hit the market, I think that's when they would use the franchise tag if they can't get anything done. Mike Duraco, ESPN.com. That's where I was going. So you think the franchise tag may be a last resort, but you think it's a possibility when it comes to Evan Ingram? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it's a possibility with with Juwan Taylor because that's just too much money. I think that's out of their their price range, to be honest with you. But yeah, you can't let Evan Ingram walk. You can't. He wants to be here. Trevor wants him here. Uh, it was a great fit. Doug Peterson really knows how to use tight ends in the offense. I mean, you go back to what he did in Philly. You go back to this year. Ingram's a matchup problem. I mean, he really, really is. And they don't. They ask him to do the things that he's really good at, which is get out there and get matched up against a linebacker, make them make the defense, make the choice on him. And then he's able to get open when he's got those mismatches and, you know, they run those crossers with him and Zay Jones. And, and those things are, as Trevor said the other day, they're pretty hard to stop. Um, so I think that that's the priority they have to have is getting him back. And, and if they don't have anything worked out with him, then yeah, they're going to, they would use the franchise tag on him. You can't let him out of the door. You can't just can't do it. You mentioned Jawan Taylor. Um, if he does indeed walk, uh, is it as simple as move Walker Little to right tackle, or could it be more complicated than that? I think the it, it's pretty simple if you're a hundred percent sure that Cam Robinson's going to be fine to start the season at left tackle. If he's not, then it's a little bit of a different um, problem. But all, the indications are that he should be. I guess the early indications are that everything went well with the surgeries and, and he should be ready to go by the season. So if, if that's the case, then I think that's really simple. Now, look, they, do they want to beef up the interior? Absolutely. Um, now, if Jawan Taylor's willing to take you know less money than he could get on the open market to stay here, well, that's another you know, benefit for the Jags, but I don't know that I see that happening. Um, you know, and, and I don't honestly think it should. I mean, you're, you're, you got to get as much as you can get. You never know how long this career is going to last in the NFL. So get as much as you can get when you can get it. So I wouldn't blame Juwan if he left um, and took a better deal somewhere else. But I think the more we've seen of Walker Little play, I think the more confident the Jaguars are that he'll be able to handle that role. A couple of more from Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. DRock, when you look at the Jaguars as a whole, you look at things they might do uh, once free agency gets here, there is some talk about cutting some guys to save some money. Now, you can restructure the likes of Christian Kirk, Brandon Sheriff, move that money into the future, which they're likely to do. But the Roy Robertson Harris's, the Rayshon Jenkins, the Jamal Agnews, I think those three guys alone 
if you were to release them, you would save something like $17 million, along with Shaq Griffin, which is probably a foregone conclusion at this point. Any other well-known veterans that you think maybe have to let go because of salary purposes? Uh, no, I think those are the three main. Um, and like you said, you can go ahead and, and see if those guys are willing to restructure. Um, and, and most players are because the bottom line is you're giving them future money now. You know what I mean? And, and most guys will take the future money now, like, especially if it's not guaranteed in the future, they'll be able, and you're like, Hey, you know what? We'll give you three more million dollars as a signing bonus right now. Most guys will take that because they'd rather have the money in hand than theoretical money in the future. So, you know, I, it, it's interesting, you know, Agnew's an interesting guy because I don't, uh, he, he's clearly a fan favorite here. And, and it's good to see that people haven't really killed him, um, you know, for what happened in the AFC uh divisional game against the Chiefs with the, the the fumble that might not have even actually been a catch to be honest with you um I don't know that he's back hacker though I don't know if they're going to sit there and say hey let's let's push some money in the future um with Agnew um and and see if we can keep him around uh, the only the only thing that I would say is look you got Calvin Ridley supposedly coming in we don't know yet for sure I mean he has to apply for re- reinstatement on Wednesday wouldn't expect to hear anything from the league in terms of the approval for a while after that. So, you know, you at least have a guy on the roster in Agnew if you keep him around and you can restructure that that knows the system and that can give you something offensively because you really don't know 100% what you're going to get out of Calvin Ridley. So that might be the only reason, you know, that I would see the Jags really wanting to keep him around. I You know, I I shouldn't say that. I, I just I wouldn't be surprised if they cut him, uh, to be honest with you. But I think that they're going to try and find a way to keep him around. Final moments, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. DRock, Roy Robertson Harris and Rayshon Jenkins around Halloween. Those were no brainers that you cut those guys to save that money. Then all of a sudden, those guys became maybe your two best defensive players during that winning streak. And now to me, I mean, Robertson Harris and Jenkins you got to find a way to bring those guys back, do you not? Yeah, certainly Jenkins, for sure. Um, because here's the thing. You, you know, people talk about this, and I'm just as guilty as, oh, they cut this guy, they cut that guy. Well, sometimes, you know, you're creating, you cut that guy for a salary cap need, and if you absolutely have to do it, sure. But if there's ways to get around it and still keep a good player, that's probably the better way to go because now you're creating another hole that you have to address. And you can't go out and spend a ton of money in free agency this year. And, and they don't really want to be the team that has to do that anymore anyway. Um, and now you're you're picking, what, 24, 25, whatever it is now. Um, you know, so you're not picking in the top 10 to add supposed elite talent. So, you know, the more guys you cut that are good players, the more holes you create. And I just don't think that they're going to do that with those two guys. I think they'll find a way to restructure both. D-Rock, leave us with this, and we'll certainly have you on, you know, as developments warrant this offseason. You mentioned the interior of the offensive line. Give that position and maybe one or two more that you think in a perfect world, if the Jaguars could upgrade there in the next month and a half, they would try to do that. What positions do they need to get better at, in your opinion? Uh, this includes the draft. Uh, but you know, we'll start with free agency and we'll get to the draft later on. Just free agent speaking. What can they do to upgrade this roster position wise? 
Well, it's, it, you know, there's an alleged good group of tight ends that are available in free agency because you just never know who really is going to be available. Um, so they've got to address that there, whether that means bringing Chris Manhurts back or finding someone else, because the only guy they have under contract right now is, is Luke Farrell. And I don't expect them to bring Dan Arnold back. So that's a position, um, you know, interior depth on the offensive line and, and along the defensive line and, you know, not big name guys, um, but they're going to have to look at those second and third tier free agents to see if they can fit them in because that's the area, you know, those two areas of the offensive line is, is where they have to improve the most, I think. And, you know, getting Ben Barch back will certainly help, um, but they have to get more of a pass rush from the, the, the middle of that defensive line and I know you're not going to find that elite guy as a free agent there, but they just need to get better there overall. So I think those are the areas, you know, that they'll probably take a look at the most in free agency. Mike, we're out of time. Chris Jackson, the wide receiver coach, is gone. They bring in Chad Hall from Buffalo. We know Jim Bob Cooter has interviewed in a couple of places for current offensive coordinator roles. Nothing as of yet at the time you and I are speaking. But it looks like, by and large, the coaching staff is going to be uh, – pretty much intact new wide receiver coach but that might be it right yeah and and that's good uh you know Doug Peterson spent you know six months talking about stability and and uh you know consistency and knowing what to expect and and you know when you can bring your entire coaching staff almost back intact that's great you know especially you know your coordinator spots and the guys around Trevor Lawrence so that's that's a good thing now if things go the way we expect it to go in 2023, then we're not going to be able to say that about this team next year. Mike DiRocco, you can read his terrific work at ESPN.com. DRock, it's been far too long, brother. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Hack. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NBA All-Star break has arrived. The trade deadline in the rearview mirror, let's look back on the first half of the NBA season that was with Zach Hanshu. He's one of our guys here on 1010XO when it comes to the NBA, and you can follow his coverage at NBC Sports Edge. Zach, how we doing, man? Uh, doing great, brother. How about yourself? Zach, we're good, buddy. Thank you for the time. And all right, you and I haven't talked since what was one of the more active NBA trade deadlines we've seen from D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers, Kyrie Irving to Dallas, and, of course, Kevin Durant to Phoenix. Zach, how much did the trade deadline shake up the landscape of the NBA? Yeah, and don't forget about your boy Mo Bamba to the Lakers <laughs> as well. That's right, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, no, this this really shook things up. Um, obviously, the Suns struggled there for a bit with Devin Booker sidelined, uh, just a number of injuries to you know some of their reserve players. Uh, but obviously adding Kevin Durant gives them a starting five that includes Durant, Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, and, and at this point, the West is wide open, right? So they should be considered favorites now. Uh, we're not sure when Kevin Durant's going to come back, uh, but as long as Phoenix can kind of stay in the mix here, um, you know, for a little bit, and he'll get a little time to recover over the all-star break as well, um, you know, they should be just fine. Um, as you mentioned, D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers added some more pieces as well. They added Vanderbilt and Beasley. Uh, they got some shooting. They got some front court depth, which was uh, Rob Palenka just pulled off an absolute heist uh, at the trade deadline. It was ridiculous. Uh, and they got Mo Bamba as well. 
And then the Clippers added some role players as well. They added some much-needed three-point shooting. They got Bones Highland. They got Eric Gordon. Um, you know, they got some rebounding. Um, you know, they got some front court depth from Mason Plumley. So this was just this was monumental for all three of those teams. Um, quite shocked, to be honest with you, that Golden State didn't pull off any moves because all three of those teams are in their division and they just got much, much better. Yeah, the thought was Golden State was going after maybe one or two of the Toronto guys. Toronto decided not to sell, and right now they would be in the play-in tournament. They just beat Orlando uh, earlier this week. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, here with us. Zach, it's been a very short amount of time, but how has the dynamic worked so far between Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic? I, I mean, from what we've seen so far, it's looking pretty good, right? I mean, you know, Kyrie, when Luka was out for, uh, I think it was two or three games before they actually played together after that trade, and Kyrie was carrying them. I mean, he looked really good. Um, Dallas has been getting some, uh, you know, pretty good play from some role players. Josh Green has stepped up, the young guy, um, and they've gotten some good play off their bench. Uh, they have some guys that have been dealing with injury. Christian Wood has been kind of in and out of the lineup. They got Maxi Kleber that's supposed to be coming back. Uh, they definitely could use his defense, a uh, much better defender than Christian Wood. Um, so Dallas, I, I think the trajectory is really looking up for them. Uh, especially now that they have that much coveted second scoring option and go-to guy that can kind of take over if, you know, if Luke is not having because essentially at this point, Luca needs to have a 30 point triple double for them to win any games. They've been awful against the spread. They've been awful uh, on the road. Um, so they really, really needed this trade. And I, I think it's going to work out well for them. And Zach, look, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying Brooklyn's better off without Durant and Kyrie Irving. They're obviously not. But they got a haul, not only all those picks for their future, but Denwitty, Finney Smith, Bridges, Johnson. I mean, this Brooklyn team, even though they, quote, sold at the trade deadline, I still think they'll make the playoffs comfortably and maybe could win a series. Yeah, I think their ceiling right now is is probably second round. I don't see them getting out of the second round without a, a superstar. Um, I mean, and look, they've looked really good with these guys in the mix. As you mentioned, they have all these new players incorporated. They're running, you know, they're not running tight lineups right now. They're getting 10 and 12 guys minutes. Um, and everybody's contributing right now, which has been, you know, it's been great to see. It's some team basketball, but that kind of thing doesn't really work in the playoffs. You need to have a superstar that can take over. Um, and at least from what we've seen in the last couple of games from Brooklyn, their second halves, their offense has just kind of collapsed. Uh, and that's kind of the time where you need that go-to scoring option. And, you know, Dim Whitty's going to command usage. Mikhail Bridge is going to command usage. Cam Thomas will chuck some shots up. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how they address that offensive deficiency moving forward. Talking NBA with Zach Hanchu. You can follow him at NBC Sports Edge. It's where he has all his terrific content on the association. Zach, it happens every year, maybe a little more prevalent this year. The trade deadline deals, and we saw one in Orlando. We saw one at a lot of different places. Mo Bamba for Patrick Beverly with the knowledge that Patrick Beverly was never going to play for Orlando. They bought out his contract for those that maybe don't exactly know what that means why does that happen so much and that's not good for the NBA right when teams are doing things like that yeah I mean you end up with these situations where you know like you said 
these kind of lopsided deals take place. And Mo Bamba for Pat Beverly, uh, even without the buyout, even if there's no picks involved, I mean, that's just a heist. Mo Bamba is a good young player. Um, he's long, he's athletic. He can knock down a three, he can swat shots. And Patrick Beverly is, he just runs his mouth. I mean, he doesn't, to me, he doesn't add a whole lot to your basketball team, uh, other than just a guy that can go out there and chirp for a little bit. Um, so the idea is, uh, you know, you clear some cap space, uh, Orlando is, I'm looking at spot track right now. Orlando is projected to have the fourth most available cap space this summer. Um, so the idea is, you know, Orlando has all of these excellent young players right now. They have a, a great core. They got Franz, they got Paolo, uh, and all these young guys. They just are really lacking, you know, kind of what we talked about with Brooklyn. They're lacking that bona fide uh, superstar right now. And maybe they make a run at somebody in free agency this summer. Yeah, speaking of Orlando, um, look, I, I'm a diehard Magic fan, a long-suffering Magic fan. It won't be this year. They were too injured at the beginning. They're competitive now, but they're winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, and that's not going to get you in the play-in tournament playing 500 basketball. But you can yeah. see the developing stages, Zach. When they start back in October at 0-0, zero and zero, I think next year is the year that Orlando will finally get back into the postseason. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, I think they have. They definitely have a shot. Um, uh, yeah, these young guys are trending up. Bancaro is a 20-point-per-game scorer as a rookie. Um, you know, Wagner continues to contribute. Uh, I would love to see what Markel Fultz can do if he can just stay fully healthy for an entire season. Um, obviously their front court depth is phenomenal. Maybe now that Jonathan Isaac is coming out and playing 10 minutes a night for them right now, maybe after this summer and he continues to rehab and continues to get back up to game speed, maybe he's that game changer for them, uh, you know, due to his defensive abilities and, you know, he can knock down some threes. Um, yeah, I think they have a great shot next year. I I'm really excited to see what they can do. Well, the crazy thing too, is like you said, they got the fourth most cap money in the league projected as of right now. And they're going to have two lottery picks. They're going to have their own lottery pick, and they own Chicago's, assuming it's not in the top four. And that Vucevic trade looks worse and worse and worse for the Bulls. They gave up on Wendell Carter, and I'm not sure Wendell Carter isn't as good as Nick Vucevic right now. Orlando also got a pick that turned into Franz Wagner, and they're going to get another lottery pick to boot. When Orlando traded Nick Vucevic, everybody down here was really upset by that. But Orlando fleeced Chicago on that one, did they not? Well, they absolutely did. Um, and it, honestly, I think that kind of brings up a broader point about Chicago as far as what the hell are they doing right now? I, I mean, I think everybody kind of considered them, uh, you know, sellers at the trade deadline uh, if they were going to start a rebuild. If not, hey, let's let's buy and try to just make a run at this thing. They went in either direction. They stood pat. And they've lost four straight now, and they look like they're just heading for the play-in tournament or potentially just missing out on the playoffs altogether. So I'm not entirely sure what the thought process was. And, they, yeah, they absolutely got fleeced in that boots deal. There's no doubt about it. Is Billy Donovan in trouble up there? I don't know. They just extended him. So I, I, I can't figure out what's going on. I, I don't know that he's in trouble. I think with any other organization, maybe he's in trouble, but – uh, with this organization, I, I can't figure out what they're doing. Final moments here, Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge. All right, Zach, let's take a broad look at both conferences. Let's begin in the East. The thought was, 
it was Boston, and then there was a divide before you get to the Milwaukee's and the Philadelphia's of the world. Boston's come back down to earth a little bit. Are you still on the Boston train, or do you think a Milwaukee, a Philadelphia, a Cleveland could give them some problems in the postseason? Yeah, I think it's it's Boston above everybody else. I still think they're in that that tier slightly above Milwaukee. Um, but Milwaukee is the only other team, I think, in the East that's going to compete with them. Uh, I, I mean, look, Boston trotted out a skeleton crew last night, and they took Milwaukee to overtime. I'm not sure if you caught that one. It ended up being a great game there at the end. Um, but Boston was missing Tatum. They were missing Jalen Brown. Uh, Rob Williams played 13 minutes. Horford rested because uh, they had the back-to-back. So uh, ended up being a great game. They're getting good production from Derek White, uh, who I thought was a phenomenal addition from the Spurs. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon has played really well uh, with Marcus Smart out. Uh, and they've just been dealing with injuries here, as teams often do in the middle part of the season. It's kind of that weird, you know, uh, you're not right at the beginning, you're not right at the end, just kind of that weird uh, middle ground here. And Boston is still chugging along at 41-17. and 17. They're half a game over Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee, if Middleton is healthy and the rest of the boys are available, Bobby Portis, um, I think they can compete. But Boston is still, to me, head and shoulders above. They're just so deep, and their starting five is – nobody else can touch them at this point. Same question in the West. We know uh, Phoenix, obviously, once Durant gets healthy. Right now, Denver, I believe, is the one seed, although they started leaking water a little bit, including a loss to Orlando late last week. Do you like the Nuggets, or is that kind of fool's gold right now? Yeah, that game was in Orlando, right? And the Magic have been awesome at home this year. So that one, I I wouldn't worry too much about that one. I think Orlando gets up for the home crowd. Um, They're one of the best teams against the spread at home this year as well. Um, So that one doesn't worry me too much. Um, As far as Denver, they're five games out in first place right now in the West. I mean, they're, they're significantly pulling away from Memphis, from Sacramento, um, yeah, Phoenix is treading water at number four. They had started out at the top seed. They had kind of fallen all the way back down to the play-in tournament. And now with Booker back, they're starting to win again. So, you know, like I said earlier, if they can just continue to stay put right there, you know, the top three or four teams, uh, Durant can push them over the top. But I, I think right now you have to look at Denver uh, as the clear biggest threat to come out of the West, you know, if we're not talking about, uh, you know, a Phoenix team with Kevin Durant. Zach, we're out of time. The All-Star break is here. Obviously, LeBron made NBA history a week ago when he passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, the NBA's in a good spot right now. I would think that Adam Silver and everybody associated with the league, they got to be happy at what's transpired here over the last couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was amazing to watch LeBron break that scoring record. Um, as an East Coast guy that has to get up early for work, I, I was kind of hoping it would be a seven o'clock game. But you know, I, I ended up sitting up till you know twelve thirty, one o'clock that night and watching the celebration, and it was phenomenal to see him on that step back jumper um, and Kareem being there and the the big ceremony that they did. I, I loved it, and I think NBA fans loved it as well. Zach Hanchu, NBC Sports Edge, always kind enough to join us to talk about the association here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, enjoy the All-Star Game festivities, my friend. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Take care, man. And thank you to Zach Hanchu, NBC Sports Edge, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as the All-Star break has arrived 
In fact, the uh, Young Skills competition, the Futures game, I guess they call it, is going on right now. Of course, you'll have All-Star Saturday night and then the game on Sunday. A lot of interesting things going on in the NBA. The Kevin Durant trade, the Kyrie Irving trade, just to name a few. You see the All-Star break, you're at the halfway point. Well, that's not true in the NBA. Most teams are played 58-59 games. So only about 25 games or less for every team in the NBA this season before postseason basketball arrives in about a month and a half. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark and a very busy week here of Hacker After Dark. And we certainly thank you guys for hanging out with us. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, again, joined us tonight talking NBA. Thank you to DRock, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com for stopping by. We went to Indianapolis. We talked to James Boyd of The Athletic regarding the or regarding the brand new hire for the Indianapolis Colts, Shane Steichen. He is the new head coach in Indianapolis. Certainly appreciated our guy up in Indy, James Boyd's perspective on that hire. And, of course, Clay Harbor, former tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's one of our guys here on 1010XL. Always enjoy the conversation with Clay Harbor. We will be back on Monday night, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending not only your Friday night with us, but your entire week with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92. Point five FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Friday evening and a terrific weekend, and we will talk to you on Monday night beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.